It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to the Talent Talk Radio Show. It's Tuesday. It's 1 o'clock uh, here local time, so it's time to, for, just to go ahead and start the show. Um, today will be a little bit different. I'm going to have on two guests uh, from the same company on at the same time. Uh, hopefully, we don't uh, all talk over each other too much, um, but just going to decide to change it up a little bit instead of having two people on with a, you know, in between the commercial break. We're just going to give something a little bit different to try this time, so... Uh, just in case this is the first time you happen to be coming in uh, to listen to the Talent Talk show or ma- radio show, or maybe you haven't been in in a while, but kind of give you a little reminder of why we're here, what we're doing, how it works. Um, you know, I, I meet a lot of these uh, really cool leaders at different events uh, through LinkedIn, uh, reading their books, whatever it may be. And so I like love to ask a lot of questions, find out what makes them tick, find out what they're doing to be great in their companies. And so I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and um, hear what we're talking about. So I'm not the only one that gets to hear all their great answers and learn from them. Hopefully, we'll you'll hear a little tidbit or uh, something you can take back to your company and uh, use in your own life that will you know impact you down the road. Uh, as I've mentioned, uh, we're live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, but most of you actually interact with us through iTunes or iHeartRadio. You come in after the fact, and that's okay. Um, because we've amassed a huge following there. Over 650,000 of you came in and listened to at least one podcast last week. Uh, Super awesome. That might be our highest for a a single week. Um, So really appreciate everyone interacting, listening, enjoying. Big thank you to everyone who's kind of a regular listener. Uh, One of the things that we also love to do is keep that conversation going, whether it's right now live or after the show, uh, to see questions and comments and so we do that on Twitter. If it's good enough, I guess, for the now president of the United States, it's good enough for Talent Talk. So we are uh, all over Twitter. You can uh, send your questions to at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, will try to feed me in any questions if we get them live and want try to try to ask our guests. Otherwise, I'm sure they'd be happy to answer your questions after the show has gone live. All right, so I've mentioned my guests a few times uh, but without saying their names. So let's go ahead and introduce them. Uh, today's show, we will have the founders of Maximum Value Partners, um, Jack uh, Mencini and Adam uh, Sonhalter. Hope I'm saying those names correctly. Uh, as I said, will be joining me here for the whole hour. So uh, welcome to you both. Thanks for having us, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Good to be here. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? I'll maybe designate for you here. We'll have Jack start, and then we'll go to Adam. But tell everyone a little bit about your backgrounds, and uh, maybe you, one of you can tell me about what your business does, Maximum Value Partners. Sure. This is uh, this is Jack, and I, I've uh, the first 20 years of my business life were with bigger corporations, a couple Fortune 500 companies that uh, I set up the internal audit function for the board of directors on these companies. And I was fortunate enough to travel the world uh, as an auditor and then eventually into operations in a big manufacturing company, uh, one that was also listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, I, I rose to a level of, of uh, vice president uh, controller, vice president administration. And I left on my own accord when they offered me the presidency of Canada for our operations. And I took a year off. It was a great year. Recommend it to anybody who has an opportunity to do such a thing. And I got in touch with a good friend. I have a degree in accounting and an MBA. And a fellow who I got my MBA with 
he, he and I went out to dinner, hadn't seen each other in probably 10 years. And through that dinner, it was a great dinner, by the way, uh, we decided to form a company, Brokering Natural Gas. And we did that. And I got in touch for the first time in my life in a serious way with a small business owner, a guy who basically uh, ran a heat treating operation in the Cleveland area, Cleveland, Ohio. And from that, I basically did well with my partner, but I also fell in love with the whole idea of these small manufacturers because I could help them out very quickly. Given my background and experience up to that point, I could see the problems with these companies and put a fix in pretty quickly for them. And that led to more and more people asking these small business owners to help them out. And so I had a booming business in consulting with small manufacturing. And that led to me buying a company, a troubled company, a small troubled manufacturing company. And I was able to buy it from the IRS, which was foreclosing on it. And it was a good story locally, one that probably uh, would take a little more time to get into here. But uh, it was a success story by all means. I was able to fix it up, save it from being shut down, and sold it a few years later for a nice profit. I went on to do that with four more troubled manufacturing companies, progressively bigger, and I was able to buy them right, fix them up, and sell them off. I started a number of companies from scratch. All told, over the last 20-some years here, I've owned and operated 16 companies, including a, uh, a nonprofit which teaches patients how to deal with their doctors, which we turned over to the Mayo Clinic in 2013. So I've had a good stretch with small businesses, had a lot of fun doing it, made a few bucks in the process. One of the companies I, I created was Maximum Value Partners, along with Adam, who you're going to hear from in a couple of minutes. And uh, we have been coaching, we're business coaches, and we teach small business owners how to become CEOs, how to make their company more profitable and streamlined, and, and just quite frankly, teach them what business is all about. And we've been doing this together, Adam and I, for 15 years. So that's a little about me. I could go into the long version, but i got to give Adam a little fair time here. Yeah, and you've well, given us good. quite a bit already, so I'd love, love to hear what Adam uh, <laughs> brings to the table as well. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's uh, that's the short version of Jack's background. He did a good job of highlighting this <laughs> for him. Um, yeah, I'm a little different from the standpoint. I grew up in a family business. Uh, my parents started a company when I was about three years old. So I grew up with dinnertime discussions being about business quite often. Um, you know, whether there's some, some issues going on with the, with the company, if there's a big deal happening, I was usually aware of those kind of things. And I naively assumed growing up that's just kind of how things were. And started to realize as I got a little older that most of my friends' parents had jobs and they didn't really talk much about business. And if they did, it usually wasn't good stuff. It was just, uh, you know, often very negative or frustrated about stuff. So I kind of grew up in that environment. Um, I caddied for a bunch of years on the golf course, and many of the folks I caddied for were folks who uh, had their own company. So I got a chance to know and love entrepreneurs tremendously. Uh, after graduating with a degree in business and finance, I spent almost 10 years on Wall Street. Uh, the first couple of years were with uh, a bigger firm called Bear Stearns. And after you know a few months there, I started to realize that you know, that big corporate machine was not really for me had some very, very smart, very hardworking people, um, but most of them were very unfulfilled from the standpoint that they were, uh, you know, kind of waiting for stock options to vest or waiting for somebody to, to call them up and pluck them away to go somewhere else. So I had my couple years stint there, uh, left there after, after my, my two-year program was done to go to a smaller place, and uh, we had about 20 of us there doing the same things I was doing at Bear Stearns, helping people buy and sell companies or raise money for companies. But I got back to working with small private companies again. And, you know, I had a chance to work, you know, during that 10-year period with companies of all different shapes and sizes. I just had a ton of fun with it. But got to the point in my in my career where I just wasn't having as much fun anymore. And I had a couple of guys who I was working with where, you know, I, I could kind of see my future, Chris. And it wasn't the future that I wanted for me. And uh, part of that time... Uh, during, during my course of, of time in New York City, I'd actually moved back to the Cleveland area, which is where I grew up. And I was commuting back and forth. I'd set up an office in Cleveland for, for them and kind of spent half the week in New York City, half the week in Cleveland. 
And I got to the point, like I said, I wasn't having too much fun anymore. I wanted to figure out what I was going to do. And way back when, Jack used to golf, and I used to caddy for Jack way back when. So life takes all kinds of twists and turns, and he and I got reconnected. Um, and as he mentioned, uh, it was right about the time he was getting Maximum Value Partners started up. And um, you know, one of the things that we were doing, doing early on is helping people sell companies. And uh, that was something that, that, that I would obviously been doing for, for quite some time. Um, but a big part of what we were doing, too, was, you know, this idea of helping out the owners of small companies, helping them do it for themselves. And we didn't quite know what to call it early on, but we discovered this whole idea of coaching as part of that. Um, so, you know, Jack and I have some very different backgrounds and experiences, but we view the world very similarly. And one thing we share tremendously is an absolute love for the small business owner. And it's something that, that, that really ties us together and has been, a, you know, a key for us and for, as far as our success over these last 15 years together is trying to really help and, and, and see these small companies grow and see the owners grow. It's been a lot of fun from that standpoint. And so as you two have come together, have you really been able to find a way to leverage your strengths, uh, you know, kind of in a balanced way so that, you know, you're each really – handling tasks, handling projects, helping the, the clients in which you have the most passion and and really energy for. Uh, you know, because a lot of times an entrepreneur has got to wear so many hats, they end up doing half their work is stuff that they can't stand. And and the, the best ones I have found are those that really are able to focus on what they're really good at. So how, how do you guys really kind of manage that process? Well, Adam, Adam's background in investment banking prepared him like like uh, no other industry does for tremendous analytical abilities plus he's a smart guy anyway and uh, uh, his ability to analyze and quickly through numbers especially come to uh, certain points and his demeanor is a little more calmer than mine if you will so <laughs> we can add that strength to my experience which I've run a lot of companies I've coached and consulted with a lot of small businesses so there isn't a whole lot that we haven't seen in the small business world especially. We have the education, the experience with very large corporations, and uh, certainly great experience with small business owners. So we can combine our, our strengths to really you know, give tremendous value to a small business owner when we coach them. Yeah, well, yeah, as part of the, the way that we work with our clients, Chris, is they get – both of us, whether they, they, they like it or not. You know, we, we do all of our coaching together. We feel that it's tremendous value, you know, given our different styles, our different experiences. Uh, we've, you know, you may have been able to tell from our stories, we, we, we have different ages as well in terms of, you know, what what goes on. So in addition to, to, to seeing our clients either every week or every couple of weeks, we're also available to them, if, you know, in between those meetings. And uh, depending what's going on, they, they'll often reach out and call or text me or reach out or call, text, or email Jack with different questions or things that they want to talk about. So we give them access to, to, to our collective experience and all of our clients get all of that. So as you're looking to really focus then on you know, helping businesses and small business owners, what are some of the things that you kind of seem to, maybe some similarities or things that you typically find that entrepreneurs really need help with, you know, as you come into maybe any, any type of business, whether or not they're, they're doing well or not? Sure. Well, um, and we have a lot of clients that are uh, that are family companies, um, so people issues often come up. And how do you find you know finding good people? How do you know what a good person looks like? You know, one of the frustrations that that Jack and I often have is how do you try to communicate to an owner what a good person looks like, especially if they've never really seen what a good person looks like in terms of their abilities to add value to the organization and really get things done in a way that uh, maybe their their uh, their sibling or cousin or, or, or friend who they've brought into the business just just can't do. Um, so to be able to find, train, motivate those those good people, how do you how do you keep them on board? You know, what do you tell them versus what not to tell them? Um, so the people side is usually a, a common, common challenge because um, most folks, their first hires tend to be friends or family. And going outside of that, that, that web to get those first folks who are not family or friends is often a, a big challenge for them. 
You know, so so many small business owners don't don't really know what they don't know, and they certainly don't respect what they don't know. Obviously, so teaching them things such as forecasting cash, and surprisingly, companies when we talk small, Chris, we're talking from one to twenty-five employees. The industries that they may be in or the uh, dollar sales amount mean nothing. And uh, th- that's our sweet spot. And there's probably 25 million of those companies, as you probably well know, uh, throughout the country. But as Adam said, managing people, finding and, and retaining and even uh, identifying good people. Cash is a big deal. Knowing how to plan or lack thereof, that's a big deal that we see that they're struggling with if they're aware of it. We make them aware of it when we start to coach them. And marketing, you know, to develop a good marketing plan to drive sales. Those are the kind of things, uh, oh, I, and I forgot my, my favorite, and that's profit. <laughs> Surprising. <laughs> you're in business to make profit, even if you're a nonprofit. And it's, uh, it's amazing how many owners of small companies don't really orient themselves to that. Yeah, it was funny. You know, we were at the client earlier today, uh, Chris, you know, and, and this company's been in business for almost six years now. And, you know, the, the, the struggles with cash for, for a, a young, growing company, you know, there, there are times it's, it's almost like a yo-yo up and down, you know, in terms of the, the emotions, in terms of, hey, things are going well, you got some new, some new customers on board, you're flush with cash for, for a little while, and all of a sudden, you know, things start to sort of dry up a little bit. It's, it's the constant fight with that where it never, it really never goes away, um, but, but the ability to start to forecast it, feel like you're more in control of it, and see what's coming. And to be able to plan for it is, it's a great calming influence if you're able to do it and do it well. But that cash thing is, you know, if you talk to any owner of a small company, it's, it's, it's usually one of the top, you know, top one or two things on their mind at all times. And, and this question is for either of you, but, and do you guys feel like most of the people that are coming to you or that are accepting your help are maybe doing a good job and they just, they want to be a great, company or are they more likely to come to you because they feel like they should be good but they're doing pretty bad you know then and if they don't make some sort of major change they're not gonna be in business anymore you know is it the good trying to get better or is it you know the failing trying to get back up to where they should be yeah i think most of them are stuck somewhere you know we, we try to talk about how we help people go stuck from a state of how yeah, they have a lot of how questions quite often though they've been kind of stuck bumping along in a similar area you know, so maybe they've grown to a certain level. Maybe maybe they've grown from, you know, a startup to where they're doing half a million or three-quarters of a million or just getting up to, to the million dollars in sales number, but they can't kind of bust through that. So trying to figure out how to go about doing it. And usually what happens is most of our clients, again, being, being owners of small companies, usually they're very good at what they do from the product or service standpoint. But from the business standpoint, most of them have very little to no training from the business standpoint. So they're kind of learning as they go. And as they gain more experience, they start to recognize that there are probably faster ways to make this stuff start to happen. And so that's when they start to realize that that they could use some outside help and really kind of plug it in and realize that they can leverage other people's knowledge and experience to help get their things taken care of. So usually if they're on their own, you know, know, usually they're pretty good. They'll get there eventually. But instead of having to wait, you know, kind of six months to grind through all the options, you know, during an hour or two discussion with us, we can get them there pretty quickly and help to kind of say, Here, here's the fast track, here's the way to kind of go. You don't need to go these other ten options. Here's the way to go. Based on our experience, here's the best way to kind of go forward on that. And helping them to get, to get focused that way is, is a big part of what we help them do. But, again, usually they, they, they've had to go along and have had some experiences where they realize, hey, I can get there a little faster, a little better, and, and they're open to having some outside help from that standpoint. Jack, you you mentioned some really great uh, kind of entrepreneurial successes that you've had uh, over the years. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about how maybe some or one of those particular experiences really has helped you, um, you know, guide your your clients as a coach to really help them, you know, hit that next level? Well, well, overall, you can't beat experience. And I've had a, a great deal of experience with small businesses. You know, owning 16 of them and, and starting many of them and buying troubled companies. Prior to that, I, as I said earlier, I worked with a, a big corporation at a senior vice president level. And 
that gave me the ability to see the big picture in business and learn a lot about business. And so when I'm dealing with owners of small companies, I can frame issues pretty quickly. That was a big, big part of, of uh, you know, the experience that, that I have and can bring to small businesses. We, we focus, I like to focus on making profit. And as silly and as simple as that may sound, it's amazing how so many small businesses don't do that. So the experience that, that, you know, I can bring to somebody who's being coached, and Adam supports this as well. We try to get good people and help them get better, okay? And we've, we have a three-word description that's evolved from all this, all this experience between my companies and working with Adam. Uh, we have a three-word description for the CEO or an owner of a company. And that's, those three words are plan, direct, and control. And the companies I had have been successful because I've been able to use those three words. And what they mean, I'm going to put a profit plan together. I want to see where the heck I'm going. If I can't do it on paper, chances are pretty good I'm not going to be able to pull it off. So I make a plan that shows how I'm going to make profit for a year. And then it also comes down to the people who I'm working with here, and I have to direct them. Thus, the plan direct. How do I control these people? How do I direct them into the profit-making stuff that we where we put together? And then control through through uh, meetings and through reports uh, to keep track of how we're doing and institute these plan-direct control methods into the people we coach. And the whole idea is to basically have them become profitable and learn what it takes to be profitable. And we've been able to implement uh, much of this stuff most of the time with our clients. Well, it's about that time for us to take our first commercial break. When we come back, I want to ask you, Adam, about what I think are probably the two of the most stressful things, a family business and uh, Wall Street. So we'll come back after this quick commercial break and find out what you have to say about that. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget, you can uh, keep the conversation going on Twitter by sending your questions and comments to us at, at @peopleg2. Uh, enter in whatever you want to say, and then if you have room, enter in that hashtag Talent Talk. That way, we can find it and uh, make sure we answer your question and provide any feedback we can. You can also visit us at talenttalkradio.com. If for some reason uh, iHeartRadio or iTunes isn't a good place for you to go, you can also go to our website there and. Listen to past shows and find this one as well. Um, let's go ahead and get back with uh, my two guests. Uh, we're talking to, uh, to a pretty good pair here. Uh, a lot of gr- incredible experience and in everything that they've been doing. 
uh, inside of business, and now it looks like they're having this kind of same great success in coaching at their uh, firm, Maximum Value Partners. So uh, we're going to get back here to, to Jack and Adam. And Adam, I know I kind of left you off there with a question, and that kind of really comes from dealing with family businesses and, and Wall Street. Now, I have the experience of a family business, so I, I kind of know how stressful that can be. Um, and that takes a, a, a unique uh, approach to, to really make it work. So as you kind of have these two different spe- you know, ends of the spectrum to really draw on, do you find that one tends to be you know, the place where you draw some of your knowledge or, or um, uh, maybe I guess it's even comfort or, or, uh, to, the, to the clients that you're working with? Does this, can one tend to, to outmaneuver out, out the other or do you feel like it's you know, pretty equal? Yeah, it, it really depends on the client and the situation, Chris. And let me give a couple of couple of examples of that because you know a big part of what Jack and I do is we do a really good job of being able to relate to our clients because we've been there and done it. So, from a family business standpoint, you know one of the challenges often where we tend to get involved a lot is where you've got some kids in the business already, and part of what's starting to happen is there's kind of a transition either happening or or going to happen. And what we help to do is bring some some very good perspective to that. You know, so what happens often is if you've got, you know, the the, the parents and they're all of a sudden getting ready to turn the company over to the kids, well, part of what people will say, well, gee, you know, I wish I had that that right last name. You know, if you know, it'd be, it'd be easy being born into that right family, so I could all of a sudden be the heir to this, you know, to this company. It's a it's a pretty tough spot for that kid to be in because people assume you aren't qualified. You know, and depending how long they've been around, you know, maybe they, they recall you when, you know, maybe here you are 35, 40 years old. They re- remember you being 5 or 10 years old. It's it's kind of a weird thing at times, right? And, and, and you, you remember them from when you were a little kid, you know, so it's a little bit different. So it, it can be very, very difficult to, to, to know how to hand that off. And how do you how do you train them and make sure or if, you, if you have multiple kids? You know, for me, you know, my brother took over my parents' company. And we had we, we sat down at some very very good very difficult conversations, but we kind of had those discussions. And many folks avoid those discussions. And so part of what Jack and I get involved with is having those discussions, bringing them bringing them to the table, and facilitating things to make sure we're trying to do what's best for the organization. So being able to draw on that experience is very very helpful. At the same time, you know we've got clients who are you know who are looking to. Uh, either do deals themselves you know, to go to go buy companies or, or to be able to go talk to the banks. So I'll give you give you a recent example there. We have a client of ours who he recently bought out the owner of the company, and he has a deal that was not not so favorable to him as very favorable to the to, to the prior owner. So we're working with him to kind of work on restructuring that deal a little bit. So to be able to sit down in, in the course of an hour to be able to frame what's kind of going on and give them some very good guidance very quickly based on years of experience of doing deals and what things he can do differently, but also being able to go to the bank. And how do you present to the bank? You know, one of the, the, the scariest places for many business owners is to sit down and talk to their banker. They aren't sure what to say, what not to say. They're afraid of the bankers pulling lines of credit. They don't know how to go in there, present their case, present their story to make sure that they can get the money that they're looking for. They don't know how to determine how much money to ask for. And so you know, to be able to present and help our clients, and one of the things that we do is you know, we met one of our best bankers through that. You know, he, had, he had our clients presenting to him. He said, where did you learn how to present your company this way? And we got introduced to him from that. So you can make an impression very, very well. We can help them talk the game very well, which most people don't do. So being able to, to kind of draw my Wall Street experience from that standpoint is very helpful from that standpoint. So it really depends on where the clients are at, but being able to kind of meld those things together and know that you know, from their standpoint, knowing that we've been there and done it helps them move forward with great confidence. You had made a point earlier, I thought it was uh, Adam or not, but you know, companies tend to be fairly good at what they do, but then the rest of it they're not so good at. So you make an excellent point that being able to go in and present to a banker may not be on the list of things I do well if I'm running a restaurant or I'm making uh, this particular widget that goes into something else. I mean, whatever I might be good at as a small business owner may, certainly may not encompass some of the things that you're talking about. So, you know, for CEOs, especially of small businesses, um, they face so many different challenges, and it really feels like leadership challenges can be quite different between a small company and a large company. Is that part of your focus on helping them shape, you know, their leadership approach and and how they might want to 
really manage and, and lead their companies, you know, going forward? Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that, the, the, one of the first things we do with all of our clients, Chris, is we take them through uh, what's usually a pretty well-known behavior assessment called DISC, D-I-S-C. I don't know if you've ever heard of DISC before or not. Absolutely. So uh, we're often amazed how many folks haven't heard of it or, or been through it, but it's a very, very, very powerful tool for them to understand what their natural behavior style is and helps them to make sense of what's kind of going on around them, you know, make sense of themselves, but also what they're kind of seeing in the world. So we start there to help them understand themselves as well as understand their their key key managers, okay? And so helping them understand, well, you know, what does this mean, you know, in terms of what your style is and, how, and what you do naturally well versus what somebody else might might be very naturally good at. So helping them understand that and, and do it, do it more on purpose versus just kind of letting things kind of go and everybody kind of being themselves. So being more self-aware is a big part of what we help them do. To help them, if it's if they're a little rough around the edges, maybe to kind of soften themselves a little bit. If they're a little too wishy-washy, a little too soft, ways to kind of toughen themselves up a little bit. And using a, a, a very good analytical tool like DISC to help them be able to, to do that and to be able to make sense of what they're trying to do to be able to adjust or modify themselves. That's a very, very powerful tool. We also teach them, especially in in today's world, uh, to be inclusionary with their employees and to share information, especially financial information, but all planning information. Try to get your your key employees, uh, as many employees, quite frankly, as possible uh, into the planning process. Because good employees like that challenge. They want to know what's going on. They want to learn. And a good leader is going to allow them to do it. And as we said earlier here uh, a few minutes ago about presenting their company, a good leader should be able to present their company. uh, An owner of a small company should be able to present their company as good as the CEO of General Electric as far as we're concerned. And we teach them the kinds of things that they have to talk about and present themselves with confidence. So if they go into a bank, they're going to go in there with a swagger I mean, because they know what the heck they're doing and they have a lot of confidence. Or they want to win over a very, very key employee or a customer or a vendor. Uh, they know how to talk the company. They know how to talk business. And we have a lot of fun with that, and we get tremendous satisfaction. Now, most of our clients stay with us for years. Our, our, one of our most successful clients has been with us for eight years, nine years. And all our contracts with them, and we deal with them, are month to month. So that says quite a bit in terms of leadership. They they feel they're getting something, and we can see it. We can all see it, and we have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, one of the things that that Jack had mentioned before, Chris, he talked about the, the, the that three word job description of a of a CEO or, or owner being plan, direct, control. That's one way that we that we define leadership. What we find the owner is doing sometimes is they're they're so busy doing stuff. They don't know how to, you know, people often talk about the idea of, like, delegating stuff, which is what, for us, it's you know, getting that plan down to be able to direct the activity, to be able to, to not have to do it all themselves. And most of these owners, if you talk to them you know, and hear what they're doing day in and day out, they're like Atlas, carrying that world on their shoulders all the time. And they're just doing more and more and more and more. And eventually they start to wear down or, 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 or just start to break down because you, you can't do it all yourself. So helping them understand how to, how to lead, how to direct the activity to make sure they're tapping into the rest of the organization so that they can accomplish more versus just feeling the need and the pressure to handle it and shoulder the burden themselves. Well, it's great. That's great advice. Uh, I know I went through that my, myself and when we were a lot smaller and thinking that, you know, I needed to do everything or well, I just got in the habit of doing a lot of the big tasks. It wasn't necessarily that I, I wanted to do it or I didn't think someone else could do it. You just sort of get in these habits sometimes of hand, trying to handle everything. And it comes from being early on just having to be super scrappy and suddenly you have a team around you and it can take someone knock you over the head to get you to start relinquishing some of that stuff, let somebody else do it. And ultimately what I found out is that a lot of times other people had a great passion for these things that I didn't. Or they just did them better than I did, <laughs> um, you know, which really helped. And then I, I ended up finding other things or being able to put my passion. I mean, I, I enjoy the marketing end of it quite a bit. And so I was spending a lot more time marketing and 
what do you know? We started growing at a faster rate when I spent more time on that than I did on other things that I didn't really care about. So right, it's right. A, it's great, great advice to, to really get people to start getting out from under that and to kind of go full circle to what you originally started talking about, which was the disc thing. You know, that understanding where you're at, understanding where your employees at is, is just huge. And we encourage everyone to do it every three or four years, even maybe five years. Uh, especially if you're growing, if you're advancing in your company, if you've gone back to school, I find that people tend to change, change for the better, um, and to keep kind of understanding and modifying their, their profile. And uh, maybe they're dominant trade. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always a D, but uh, whether or not how much of a C I am and how much of an I, my S is usually pretty low, but <laughs> um, those seem to do change over time. Yeah, well, yeah, what happens is we start to become much better at adapting and modifying ourselves. And uh, to your point, as you, as you look at what you want to do with your career or, or what have you, as you, you can work on things and, and, and get better at faking it. But, you know, it still takes energy if you, you know, for, for acting out of your, out of your natural zone. So, yeah, if you're a strong D, to have to be more S-like and sit quietly aside and let people kind of tell you all their problems and be very empathetic and smile and nod your head a lot, that's very difficult to do. Or you know, or to not express yourself is very difficult for D's you know to do. You can get better at it, but it still it still takes lots of energy to to, to act differently from that standpoint. But it's, you know it's okay to know how to turn that on and off too. Yeah, I know the S is far more complicated. Than this, but I always the first person that ever taught me. They said an S goes to the restaurant goes to the same restaurant to get the same dish every time, and they go to a different restaurant to get that other same dish. I mean, you know, just that they want that steady, they want that uh, consistency. And I went, man, that's just not me. I want to I want to try something new every time I go to a different restaurant. But I know there's other parts of it that are deeper. Like you said, with the empathy and the uh, and there are other uh, important factors for for those people in the with that maybe that personality type. But I imagine most of your CEOs probably fall into that higher D category. Maybe not always, but uh, certainly quite a few of them. Fourteen, fourteen percent of, of the the population are Ds. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, it it seems to be on the decline as well. So, yeah, as we look at our client base, it's actually it's a pretty even mixture from that standpoint. Again, we find folks can be can be good leaders in any of those categories. It, it's but it helps when they when they recognize what their natural style is. But yeah. The D's tend to, to 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 go towards those leadership roles pretty quickly, just based on their natural driven styles, for sure. We just get impatient. That's why. So we understand. <laughs> well, if everyone else would just hurry up and do what we said, they'd be just fine, right? Chris, <laughs> you are absolutely right on the mark. <laughs> Well, I know one of the other things that you guys focus on, uh, besides helping companies just do a better job, but is also looking at helping them prepare to sell. So. What are some of the factors that come into play, uh, you know, as they're looking to sell, as it relates to, well, maybe just start with that. What are some of the things you're seeing just around selling? What are, what are small companies you think about if that's where they're at? Well, it's, it's interesting because most companies don't get started with the idea of, of, of eventually exiting. Usually they're, they're starting it up to, to, to kind of get away from something or they've got some ideas about it. And, they suddenly wake up one day, Chris, and it's been 15, 20, 30 years, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, gee, you know, what am I going to do with this thing, right? And usually the first place that they start to look is they start to look at, you know, if, if they've got some kids or family or somebody involved or that are around, I'll try to see if I can't uh, shake that tree a little bit to see if one of them wants to maybe take it over and kind of carry on the, the family tradition. Um, so if that doesn't kind of pan out and the kids don't want anything to do with the business it's kind of like well now what do i do with this thing and often they get they get kind of stuck and yeah, it's not a well-oiled thought out plan you know an exit plan uh, a lot of the literature talks about that and then that deals with something else the awareness that you're going to sell your company all of a sudden comes you know and uh it's it's the timing the timing just it's variable there's no right time and it's a very emotional thing, Chris, because again, it's it's something that that most of these folks have have kind of birthed this company, right? And so that you know they they've seen it from its very beginnings all the way through, and it's not a decision that they come to easily. So if they're able to kind of have some time to kind of digest it, versus they're forced into it because of some outside factor. I mean, there's quite a few times what happens is there's some sort of an illness that comes in, or some sort of life event that kind of comes in that tends to force the issue. Uh, but assuming they have some time to kind of digest it a bit, it takes a little bit of time for them to even get to the point where they're kind of 
they're kind of ready for it. So uh, usually, you know, when they try to figure out wh- where it might go, they got some ideas bouncing through their head in terms of, well, gee, what's this thing worth? You know, you know what can I get for my company? And you know, most owners over the years usually will get some phone calls or letters, you know, in the mail from folks. Hey, gee, I got some people interested in buying your company, or you know, so they may have taken a few of those phone calls over the years, or maybe they had a valuation done for some life insurance. So they, they start to kind of dust some of those things off, and they're trying to think about, you know, what does this thing look like? But then, to, to me, one of the biggest emotional things that, that, that we have seen is, well, what do I do next? You know, my right. dad just went through this personally, you know, and he, you know, he sold to my brother officially. He, he officially retired, uh, I, I use that, that that term very loosely, about 18 months ago. Terrible word. <laughs> Retirement is a terrible word. should be banned from the, uh, from the dictionary. <laughs> so, you know, one of the keys... One of the keys for those owners, Chris, is they got to figure out what are they going to do next. You know, and you know, maybe it's they, they want to travel or vacation or, or, or play golf or go boating or see their grandkids. But you know, after you know several months, usually they, they kind of get I don't say get bored of it, but they, but they miss being there. You know, you know, being the being the owner, being the one calling the shots. There's a certain uh, and seeing the company grow. There's, there's a certain satisfaction to that. So getting them through a lot of that, that emotional stuff to make sure that they're actually ready for it is where we often spend a lot of time up front with folks to kind of make sure that they really are ready to go through this process. And we, we help them once the emotional uh, stuff is, is satisfied and, you know, put in place. We'll, put a, we'll help them put a package together to represent their company as well. You know, Adam's uh, experience on Wall Street has helped tremendously with this. We, we have a lot of models to do that. Uh, and as he said before, when bankers talk to our clients, they're always very impressed for a small business owner to present themselves so well. So, you know, we, we can do a rough valuation of the company and, and put the rationale for that value, uh, you know, in their mind so that then we're talking. They can, again, justify what they're doing. And they, they become uh, very professional and very effective when they do it that way. Well, let's talk about town a little bit. Um, you know, my, my company deals with uh, background checks and making sure you got the right person as they come in. And I have the privilege of doing some uh, consulting around the kind of sticky culture stuff. Uh, how do you keep people engaged and happy? And which is maybe certainly important is a little bit different than what it sounds like you guys are really focusing in on as far as uh, profit, not more of an operations uh, perspective. So what are some of the things that you deal with in as far as advice or maybe best practices and what you're asking your clients to do as it relates to their talent, to the employees, the people they're thinking about bringing in or maybe getting rid of? You know, What are some of the things that are kind of top of mind for you guys? Well, one of the first things is to be able to present yourself and your company very well. That's key. Nothing worse than somebody kind of uh, mumbling through the process and not having answers and not being very inspiring. Uh, so we teach that for starters. And the kinds of things that attract good employees are what we said earlier. Be inclusionary. Have them have these good employees be part of of the process. You know, let their ideas you know, come to play and let them grow through, you know, working their ideas on a regular basis, presenting and helping them uh, put that that ability to present a package together, Uh, share information with them. They like that good employees want information. And don't be paternalistic and, and or maternalistic. You know, don't push them back when they basically, uh, want to do more don't tell them that they can't do more they're they're getting tired or they're getting stressed let them do that uh and let them flap their wings that's what we got to do one of one of the things that that we advise heavily on and this comes back to an earlier point i made where, where a lot of times people's first hires tend to be friends and family you know jack and i will push back very hard on that with our clients to say you know don't bring in and we have a lot of times where people bring their spouses in now, again, I grew up with that where my parents worked together for 40 years. I figured that was kind of normal. Well, I've discovered as part of this process the last 15 plus <laughs> years that my parents were very unusual to have right. both a very successful company as well as a successful marriage now going on almost 50 years. Um, very, very unusual. 
and so we'll you know we'll be on record again at the end of the day it's, it's up to our clients and they'll make the decision but we're, we're usually on record that hey you got to show me that this whether it be a spouse you know a friend a, you know a child a cousin that they are way over qualified for what you're talking about having them come in to, to be able to do they have to be you know head and shoulders above anybody else you're considering for this to make sure that okay that this is why they make sense to come here versus just say it's my best friend and and, and she and i get along great okay well we got to do a little better than that to make sure you're bringing the right people on board to avoid and, and to talk about what, what, what's going to happen if if they don't work out all of a sudden do you do you, do you lose a friendship you know are you going to be, be able to have those kind of discussions are you going to want to sleep on the couch you know because all of a sudden your spouse is mad at you you know so we we, we have those kind of discussions to make sure that you bring the right kind of people in and that, that old adage of you know slow to hire and quick to fire those are very very you know those are very wise words and easy to say um but you know one of the things that, that we do is the fact that we see our clients regularly uh usually one of the tip-offs we've got that somebody's not quite the right fit is that you know week after week all of a sudden our clients coming and they're talking about sally and all of a sudden you know they haven't had a good word to say about sally for three months chris so we're saying you know do you realize that you keep coming here, and every time you talk about Sally, it's always negative, right? And it's one of those things, it's almost like holding up a mirror to them. They start to realize, oh, yeah, you know, I, I do keep saying bad things about her. Okay, well, it's time to kind of perhaps move, move on. Yeah, you know, and it's not that, that Sally's, a, you know, a bad person per se. It's just that maybe the company has grown to the point where the company continues to grow, and Sally's kind of stayed where she was, you know, from, from 10 years ago. So you've kind of outgrown her. So, you know, why don't you, why don't you, you know, release her to go, you know, somewhere that, that makes more sense for her and find somebody else to kind of come in who can really do what you need to get done. You know, it's a lot of companies, and I think when they start off, I, I know I this was true for me, that um, I didn't have much money to pay anybody, and I needed them to work a lot of hours, so the only people dumb enough to sign up for that was my family. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But you're right. You know, after you get through that, um, and and you want to share good fortune, and you want to you know do that, and you can trust, you feel like you can trust your family. If you're a first time business owner, you might not you might be worried about trusting people that you're going to be hiring that are strangers. And so, until you get your feet wet, it makes a lot of sense uh, to a lot of people. But uh, I think you, you're absolutely right that as as you start to mature and progress. And, and your company's starting to show promise, and you got some money in the bank. It's probably time to start using that other adage of that, that person coming in the door. If you know them, has got to be better than anybody else than that you, that you do know that you're talking about, because it can get more and more complicated. And I think something that um, Jack said a moment ago was great. It, it, you've said it a couple of times about being able to present yourself. And I think a lot of times small business owners just don't realize they are just as much being interviewed by that candidate as you are interviewing that candidate, especially when you're small. Because if you're a large corporation, people have an idea of what that company does, who they are. There's all kinds of branding. Somebody else walking into some small strip mall to come into an interview with your small little company, uh, you know, if they don't get a good sense of who you are, if you can't present yourself well, you're not going to get that great employee. They're going to go work for the big company, Right. That's absolutely right. And if you're if you're if you're tired and you're and you aren't presenting an exciting story and you aren't talking to them about what a great impact that that they can have, I mean, you know, part of the beauty of it is, you know, being with a smaller company is you can see the impact, you know, and the results of your activity very quickly. If you're at a big company, you may have to go through multiple committees and have months before things move along, if at all. So it's a very very different uh, very different animal from that standpoint. But yeah, if they come in and you're you're tired and beaten down, and you know <laughs> they can't get out hey, the I door. Wanna, fast I want to join this place. <laughs> That's right. I remember going to interview one time. And the guy had like cats and dogs all over the the, the the office, and I I made it about five minutes through the interview, and I, I got out of there pretty quick. So it might have been the best business <laughs> opportunity ever, but you know it was just just not a place I wanted to work every day. You know, just bizarre. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we've talked about a lot of uh, great things today. Uh, really appreciate you guys taking the time to share your knowledge and uh, the things that you're really focused on in helping your clients. You, you know, if there's something that maybe – is there one thing that each of you thinks that someone listening today should really take back or think about? What, if there was one nugget you hope they might remember, maybe we'll start with you, Jack. What, what would that be? We, we have a process. And we call it the seven keys to success, Chris. 
And this was developed over 15 years working together here. And those seven keys, basically, if mastered, and this is what we coach to, uh, their company who we're coaching will be successful. And we define success as growing sustainable profits. We have many testimonials, many successes uh, with people who have stayed the course with us. And as I said earlier, they, they stay with us for years because they grow and they continue to grow. Those seven keys, real briefly, is a vision for 10 years out, a profit plan, a market plan to drive sales, an organizational plan. It's just so important to to nurture your people and, and deal with them and manage them and incentivize them in many ways. Uh, the leadership component, that's number five. Number six is a cash flow process, which, which gives cash positive for 90 days. We show them how to do that and master that. And then last but not least, the, the presenting your company. And we constantly teach that through the company's day-to-day operations and the issues that come up in the normal course give and take of a business. And we funnel those through the seven keys. So that's important. That's that's an important takeaway. And we, we strongly uh, urge somebody uh, listening here to look at our website. And, Adam, what about you? What do you think they should be taking away from today's conversation? I think take comfort that no matter what you're facing right now, whatever, whatever challenge or opportunity you're facing, there are answers out there. And you got to get it, get outside of yourself a little bit and reach out to folks because – Again, no matter what your situation is, you're not the first person going through this. And, you know, don't give up. You, you can do this stuff on purpose to make things move ahead the way you want them to be able, be able to move ahead. So, so, again, kind of get out of your own way and, and get out of yourself to look outside to find those answers and, and be able to find that help. Well, again, I really appreciate you both being on the show today. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more or want to work with uh, Maximum Value Partners? Sure, a couple ways to do that. They can check us out online at MaximumVP.com. Um, if they'd like to email, they can email us at radio at MaximumVP.com. Um, you can also call, if you want to call us, at 877-849-0670. And if they like podcasts, I'm guessing they probably do because they're, they're, they're listening to this show. We have a, a podcast we do weekly called The Dirty Secrets of Small Business. You can get that on iTunes and uh there's a lot of ways to be able to get, be able to get a hold of us. So, Well, great. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Hopefully you've gained uh, something that will help your own career in a positive way. Next week, uh, my guests will include Christy Rowe, the VP of HR for the Washington Speakers Bureau, and Pierre Franco, the Director of People Operations and Culture for Freshly. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.